Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. You take your Bible and open to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. You remember the TV show that came out, I don't know, when I was a younger man, called The Biggest Loser? Anybody get motivated by that show to try to change your physical life? No? Okay. Scratch that illustration off. I forgot my, I forgot my audience. We're Baptists. We love casserole dishes are in part of our fellowship plan. Banana pudding and chocolate pie and bluebell, all the good things. Well, where I was going to try to go with that is a life transformation. Life transformation is fascinating. Characters change. Superman from Clark Kent to, well, Superman. Batman, Bruce Wayne into the caped, is he the caped crusader or is that Superman? I don't know. I get my comics mixed up. Transformers. I had some as a kid. They were metal back then. Now they're plastic that break. But Transformers, like they transform Optimus Prime from a a semi-truck to a a robot that can't be defeated. Or something more in line with nature, the caterpillar to the butterfly, the tadpole into the frog. Life transformation can be fascinating when you take a look at it and see what God is doing. And if you look at the big picture of Scripture, the story of God and what he's doing, there is within the story of God the thread of lives changing from sinner to godly. It's not just that somehow God, uh, people find God or suddenly decide to make a life change for God, but rather it is the calling of God and his supernatural plan is that his desire is that no one perish but for all to be found in Christ and to, for, all, for Christ to be in all. And God's call across all of the world for non-Christians to be, is to be radically transformed and to be a Christ follower. And once we have become a Christ follower, from a new infant Christ follower to a Christ follower, God has a plan for you in following Jesus and a direction for you to be continually transformed and growing in godliness and Christ-likeness. It's not that we're just saved and then he leaves us alone, but rather he desires that we are growing Christians day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, growing in Christ-likeness into increasing measures of godliness and Christ-likeness. Life transformation. Why are you here this morning? What has brought you to worship? What has brought you, hopefully, to go find a life group when we're done in a few moments? Some of you kids, like I was, might say, Mom and Dad brought me. Or you, maybe you were drugged here, like I was, always drugged to church. But why are you here this morning? Why did you come? Why do you, why do you participate in a life group or if, you're, if you are in a life group? Well, some of my kids might say, well, it's Dad's job. We have to be there because... Probably a majority of them would rather be sleeping or eating Pop-Tarts watching cartoons right now. My parents made me do it, and so we're going to go do it. That's what some of you might be saying. 
Well, my grandpa took me or my grandmother took me, and so I'm going to take you. We try to justify what we're doing, but if you're serving in the church, then why do you serve? Why do you do the things that you're doing? Why do you serve in ministry? Someone told me I should, so I do. So you're practicing religion without knowing why. Or maybe you're half-heartedly practicing because you don't know the why. That's why some of our students come to declaration and graduate and go off to college and never walk or set foot in the door of a church again because they didn't know why. It's not that they weren't told over and over and over. They just don't ever pick up the why. The love for the Lord grows cold because as a church, we do a poor job of teaching the reason why. We do a poor job of teaching God's plan, God's game plan. So if you're a non-believer or a new believer or an aged, mature believer, the goal is the same. That Jesus calls you to radical life transformation by grace through faith. And that's why we're here. That's why we gather. Coastal Oaks Church is going to cultivate deeply rooted missionaries. That is our calling, to cultivate deeply rooted missionaries that will be called righteous oaks. They are a planting of the Lord that he may be glorified in Rockport, Fulton. This morning, we're going to take a 30,000-foot view of Ephesians, maybe 50,000, depends on how much time I have. And we're going to come back to Ephesians later in the year. But Ephesians is such a fantastic letter for the church. But it's a high-altitude flyby this morning of this awesome letter to the church in Ephesus. Because this letter, this is one of Paul's letters that pictures life transformation from beginning to end. Ephesians lays out for us step-by-step God's game plan of life transformation. And it's a game plan that we need to get on board with. It's a game plan that we need to say, hey, I am in the game. So from non-Christian, unbeliever, to infant Christian, to aged Christian, to growing Christian, to mature manhood or womanhood in Christ, hear the word of the Lord for you this morning in verse 11. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through verse 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning that is true and always guides us in the way that is everlasting. Father, it is my prayer that as you have put this text before us this morning, that you would so work in us to make us more like Jesus, and that as we give ourselves fully to growing and maturity in Christ, that our roots would grow deep in Jesus in order to grow out for your glory. Lord, what we do not know, teach us, and where we are lacking in Christ-likeness and godliness, cultivate us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at God's game plan for a moment. 
In order to look at God's game plan, we need to do that high flyover over the entire book of Ephesians. So let's go back to chapter 1 for a moment. In Ephesians chapter 1, we have verses 1 through 11, and, and, or verses 1 through 12, okay, 1 through 14. And they give us this, this picture of, of God, God in three persons. He reveals the Trinity to us, and here he gives us this unique role that each member of the Godhead played or plays in our salvation. Our God is three in one, and everything flows in and through Christ Jesus. If you read verses 3 through 14 specifically, you would underline, if you were looking for a phrase that repeats itself, you would underline this phrase, in Christ. You would underline it multiple times, and that's the whole point. We're not going to pull it apart this morning. That's for later in the year, but just to say, at the beginning, he shows us this is the Godhead the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is how he is at work in salvation. This is what he has done. This was his plan from all along. Everything happens in and through Jesus Christ. And verse 15, as Paul often does in Ephesians, which can be a little bit confusing if you're reading it, he kind of pauses in his thoughts and he breaks out into thanksgiving and prayer. That's because he's so excited about life transformation. He start, he's talking about it. He introduces the Trinity, the Godhead, three in one. He talks about it, and then in verse 15, it's just what we prayed a moment ago for this reason. What reason? The reasons that he just said in verses 3 through 14. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And here's what he prays for in verses 17 through 22, 23, to the end of the chapter. He gets so excited about life transformation. And he does it again at the end of chapter 3, with verses 20 and 21. And then we get into chapter 2. I hope I can make it through chapter 2, because chapter 2 is one of my favorites. Verses 1 through 10 is the game plan, step by step, of what God has done. It is the life transformation game plan in Christ. This is what happened to you when God transformed you. When you came, when you came to Christ and you trusted him for salvation, this is who you were, and this is who you are now in Christ. It is an amazing, fantastic miracle that happens here, and only Jesus Christ can perform that miracle. You were born again to become godly. You were dead in your trespasses and in your sin. That's what Paul says in verse 1, in which you walked, you once walked, following the course of the world. You were not godly. You were not following his game plan. You were not following his truth, his calling. But you are born again, and you are born again to become godly. He gives you a new heart in this process, a heart that desires godliness, a heart that desires godliness, and a heart that desires transformation. Listen to the language that he gives us in verse 10. He says, we are his workmanship. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared or God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Walk in them. There's the key to moving forward, that we should walk in them. God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God created beforehand that we should walk in them. If you want to know the course of your race, that Paul talks about being in the race, running the race well, it is walking in these works that God has prepared beforehand in Christ. How do we do that? 
Well, chapters one and two tell you about the transformation process from non-Christian to Christian. You've been empowered by God to become godly in verses one and, and chapters one and two. Now you jump over and you see chapters four through six. That is the picture of how we become godly. It paints the picture of godliness. It's not how we become godly, but it paints the picture. Here's the end goal. This is the target. Chapters four and six are organized by different walk statements. In verse 10 of chapter 2, we were created to what? Walk in them. What are we walking in? He lays it out in chapters 4, 5, and 6. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I, Paul, or I urge you, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What does that mean? Look at verse 2. He'll tell you. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Walk in them. So before Christ, that is not who you are. Before Christ, if you go back to chapter 2, we were following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of what? He says disobedience. The desires of the body and of the mind were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, you were walking in the flesh, you were living in your sin, and he said already that you were dead in your sin and in your trespasses. There is no spiritual life there. There is no godliness there. But the transformation has happened in Christ. Therefore, we are to walk in a manner. That manner means that the transformation is starting to take place, that we're walking in humility, not pride. Gentleness, not arrogance. Patience. Bearing with one another in love. That's what life transformation begins to look like as we follow Christ. Look at verse 17. Another walk statement. Verse 17 of chapter 4. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. If you go back, here's another list. We're to be walking in humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. But here's how the Gentiles walk and the futile or useless thinking, chasing after gods that are no gods at all, chasing after gods that are not life transformational like Jesus Christ. He says, don't walk like they do. What does useless thinking and useless walking look like? Ignorance. Alienated from God. That's the problem because of their hard hearts. They're, they're calloused. They're bitter. Leading them away from godliness into sensuality and sin, which means that they're living dead in their trespasses and in their sin. They're separated from God. Verse 25 is another one. Look at verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. There is another life transformation, meaning we put away falsehood and we speak truth to love in one another. Not, it doesn't have to be like a sledgehammer hitting you kind of truth, right? But we don't, we don't sugarcoat the truth. We just say it like it is. Verse 28, in the life transformation, we do honest work, hard work. In verse 29, we don't let corrupt talk come out of our mouths. We watch what we say, and we, what we say only builds up and doesn't tear down. In chapter 5, he calls us to walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us. What does that mean? 
Well, look at verse 3. Walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us. He sacrificed his life for us. Look at verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. These things of the world are replaced by walking in love in Christ, walking in love with one another, that we're putting away the futile thinking, the useless thinking of, hey, it's mine and no one else's. This is you know, pride and arrogance and, and, and haughtiness and all the things that get in the way. It se- leads to sexually, immor- sexual immorality. But he takes us from sexual immorality to purity, covetousness to contentment. In verse 8, we're we're recreated to walk as children of the light, not as children of the flesh or children of the night. But we put away the things that non-Christians do in secret that are hidden. And those things seem to be more public day by day because we're supposed to walk in the light of godliness This is why God is transforming us from being a non-believer to an infant believer to a mature believer, growing in Christ-likeness and godliness. In verse 15, he calls us, of chapter 5, he calls us to walk wisely. Chapter 5, verse 21 is the example. Living wisely looks like submitting to God-given authority. If you're married, then, if you're married and 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 a wife... In 522, wise living looks like submitting to your husband as the church does to the Lord. If you're a husband and you're married, then, uh, well, yeah, if you're a husband, you are married. So then wise living looks like loving your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That doesn't sound like a heavy-handed, demanding husband. It sounds like a loving, nurturing husband who is willing to give his life for his wife and not push her out first. If I'm a child in chapter 6, verse 1, wise living looks like submitting to my parents and obeying them even when I disagree with them. If I'm a manager or a boss, how do I treat my employees or vice versa? How do I treat my boss? Wise living gives you, he gives it to you in chapter 6. Bond servants and masters. These are tools you'll need because it's not going to be easy in chapter 6. He gives us the armor of God. When walking in Christ-likeness and growing in Christ-likeness, the world and our enemy and adversary will not be for you. Therefore, we must have the armor of God ready to walk in Christ-likeness. So we see a kind of a big picture here in verses one, chapters 1 and 2 of Ephesians. God has intervened. God transforms us from ungodly to godly all in Christ. In chapters 4 and 6, 4, 5, and 6, it is what looks like or what it looks like to live and walk in godliness and grow in godliness, knowing that we are finished with the race when we cross this line into, his, into, his, uh, into eternity with him. But How? How does all of this take place? That's where chapters 2, 11 to chapter 4, verse 16 come in. That's the heart of the letter. It's how to be transformed. Go back to chapter 2, verse 11. There's a reason I jumped over that. It's because now we're going to come back to it and see how it happens. In chapter 2, verse 11, Paul begins to show you. He begins to write out and tell you the provisions that God has laid out for you in order for you to grow in godliness and in Christ-likeness. There are four provisions that he writes about in chapters, uh, chapter 2, verse 11 to the end. Four provisions for your life. That when you are saved by grace through faith in Christ and your life is being transformed, these four are extremely important. If you do not 
function with these four, you are missing out on growing in Christ-likeness and godliness. It's vital to your health. It's vital to your spiritual health. It's vital to the health of the church. The first thing is the foundation, the gospel. Look at verses 12 through 16. He says, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is the circumcision, which is made by the, uh, in the flesh by hands. Okay, that's, he's setting us up here, verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Okay, he's reliving it, going, just summing up what he's already written. You've been alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise. You had no hope without God in this world. You were absolutely hopeless, lost, dying in your sin. Verse 13, here comes the gospel. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. And he continues on. The gospel is the foundation of our faith and is in Christ it is completely fulfilled. You can have no life transformation without the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can have no life change where you're dead in your sin to now you're alive with Christ without the gospel, without the sacrifice that Jesus made for you on the cross and in the resurrection. The gospel is the first thing. The second, look at verse 20. It's your Bible. You need your Bible, whether it's on your phone or it's in your hand. Get a translation that you can read, not a paraphrase. Paraphrases can help you, but they are not translated word for word. Get you a translation. I preach from the ESV. The CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, is great. The NIV is okay. The, I still, with the NIV, I like to go back to the 84 version. It was solid. It's what I grew up on. New American Standard is solid. New King James Version is solid. If you like the Old English, uh, King James, use it, read it. If you'll read it, that's great. New Living Translation is really easy to read for children. Um, just find a translation that you're going to read. You need a translation. You will read, and you need to read it a lot. You need to be in it. Don't neglect it. Verse 20. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It is the word of God, the prophets of the Old Testament, the apostles that we have their writings here in the New Testament, and the foundation, the chief cornerstone being Jesus Christ. It's how we have the gospel. The third thing is the local church, verses 19, 20, and 21. You need to be in the local church family. Thank you for being here this morning. I praise God for that. But you need to be in a local church body. Your friends, your family, they need to be in a local church body that is following God's game plan. They need, you need to be connected to a local body of believers that believes Jesus Christ is the only way that preaches the true gospel, not this fluffy stuff that you get with the prosperity gospel that preaches the whole counsel of God. You gotta be in the local church family that's being built up by this. Look at verse 19. So you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, that's us, the church, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit of God, and there's your fourth thing that you need. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit. He is the one building the church. It's not your staff. It's not your pastor. It's not your life groups. It's not our plans. It's not our graphics. It's not our choir. It's not our praise team. Any none of those things that we've all said, oh, our church is growing because of dot, 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 dot. The Holy Spirit is the one who grows the church. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings people into the church with gifts. 
Also, let me say this, parents, if you're listening, hear me now, believe me later, please don't let your kids' friends pick the church you're going to attend. Don't do that. The Holy Spirit will lead you to the proper and right church where he wants your gifts used for his glory. The Spirit builds up the church. He brings people in. He moves people out with the gifts that he sees fit that, need or, that are needed for that particular church body, that expression, and he will provide it for us when we need it in his timing. And he will continue to grow the church and he will continue to grow us in Christ-likeness and godliness. That's what he does, and we must have him. Otherwise, we're spinning our wheels and we're doing it all in our own power. So when all of these things are brought to bear upon your life, then it's going to look like verses 11 through 16, what we've already read. Chapter 4, Paul urges us to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Look at verse 7. I did not read that a moment ago, but I'll read it now. But grace, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace is always going to refer to God's unmerited favor. But here, not only is it pointing to that, but he's also talking about the grace gifts that he has given to the church. Jesus, when you're saved, Jesus has given every Christian a gift. It's not just the gift of salvation, although that's number one, most important. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. When Jesus converted you from non-Christian to Christian, he gave you through the Holy Spirit spiritual gifts. Please, it is not your ability to cook. It is not your ability to play an instrument or sing or not sing. Uh, it is not your ability to paint or draw or any kind of skill like that. You got a green thumb? Sorry, that's, that's not a spiritual gift, okay? It's not. Spiritual gifts are laid out in Scripture for us very clearly. He has gifted you with natural talents. He has gifted you with the ability to learn skills and learn talents, but spiritual gifts are a whole other category. The word here is charismata, grace-gifted. There are four places in Scripture where these are listed out for us. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Peter gives a very short list in 1 Peter chapter 4 and here in Ephesians chapter 4. What is important is that you recognize that these, these gifts are diverse. And he says this, and here is Paul's list in Ephesians 4. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. It is vitally important that we understand they are diverse, which means you have a gift that other people in this church do not have, given to you by God. And that gift is meant to be used in the church. We can't use that gift because we don't have that gift. God gave it to you, which is why we're calling you to get into the game. The gifts here in 11 or 13 are what I would consider leadership gifts, offices, but they're also spiritual gifts. And they are designed that you are no longer a child, but to lead you and equip you to growing in maturity in Christ. The first one was apostles, and second is prophets. Listen, if somebody comes to you and says, I'm an apostle, run away. Okay? In the strictest of biblical sense, there are no more apostles like these guys were. It's a self-given title by somebody, all right? 
Prophets um, certainly can still speak on behalf of God from the word of God, uh, but in the sense, again, like apostles in the strictest sense, that one might even be limited a little bit. But here we go on. We see evangelists. Certainly there are men um, out there. Uh, Billy Graham would, have fit, would fit into that category. Shepherds, teachers, I believe that's probably one um, or, or at least very closely related, but notice what their job is. Their job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Right? Verse 13, and we're all working to attain unity of the faith and the work and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, or growing in Christ's likeness, maturing to godliness. What you didn't hear him say was that the pastor and staff do it all. Although if you don't do it, we will do it all because we love the church. But that's not healthy. And if we're doing it all, then you're not growing in godliness and Christ likeness. And we're failing you. That's the truth of it. Now, if you're just resistant to serving and getting involved and getting in the team and, and whatnot, then that's on you. And sometimes we like to hold on to things as staff because we like the praise that we get from it if we do a good job. That's not healthy either. Because look what happens in verse 14. If we let you stay that way, then you will continue to walk being tossed around by the waves, carried about by every new scheme of doctrine that comes around. And boy, do they come around. But if we're doing our job as a staff and as a church and we're equipping the church for the ministry, then we're not seeing that happen because we're growing in unity, we're growing in Christ-likeness and maturity, and we're not tossed around by the waves. We're not tossed around and carried about by every new scheme of doctrine that comes out. What are we in verse 15? Rather, we are speaking the truth in love as we grow up in Christ and to him who is the head, right? Always Christ is the head. Now the body working as one, working together, working properly Make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's a lot to unpack there. We're going to come back to it in the future. But for now, listen, there is no need for you to feel inadequate because you have one gift or two gifts or you don't know your gifts at all. Trust me, the word says you have a gift. It's there. It's our job to help you find that gift and equip you for ministry. All right? We are working on that. We are trying to develop that strategy so that we are cultivating mature, God-fearing, Christ-like missionaries who are deeply rooted in Jesus and growing out. We are working on that, right? But there's no need for feeling inadequate or feeling scared. Everyone has something to contribute. Every partner in the gospel has something to contribute. And these gifts that, that Paul has given here, they're not just abilities. Friends, they're ministries. They're ministries that God has given to you, ways that you can serve and help serve his church. He is the good gift giver. And we don't need to be jealous of the gifts that other people have. You didn't read that in the parable of the talents when Jesus said the master gave five talents to one and two to the other and one to the, the, the third one. You don't read anything of their jealousy, the one that says two. Well, pff, he must love that guy more because he got five and I only got two. <laughs> well, I'm just going <laughs> to, you know, how church people get. You don't read about that, though, do you? It's not there. He put his two to work and he got two more. Now, the one, he was scared of his master. He didn't understand his master. He buried it. But you don't see the backbiting and frustration. He's the good gift giver. We don't need to be jealous of other people. And for those who might have a couple and, and, and put it to use in, in places. And for those of you that have five, you never saw the, the servant with five. Jesus says nothing that he's looking down on the one that had a lowly two or one. <laughs> I am more holy and righteous than you. I got five, nana, nana, boo, boo. <laughs> you don't see that. It's not there. 
Because we're growing in Christ-likeness and, and godliness. We have a responsibility to put to work what he has given us. Because when you get to heaven, it's not going to be about your giftedness. It's going to be about your godliness. That's why in that, in that parable, the servants of five and two both hear the same exact phrase. Well done, good and faithful servant. The next truth about gifts is that the responsibilities of these gifts are absolutely diverse. The gifts are diverse, but the responsibilities are diverse. We are equipped to equip. The list given, we are to equip the saints for ministry, for service, for worship. You're not just a receiver of knowledge. Coastal Looks Church, we can't be a church of just knowledge, but rather we need to be a church of participants to be a team player. This means that we have to get involved. You have to get involved. You may be involved in one thing. Praise God. If that's where he's gifted you, stay there. Run that race as much as you can, as hard as you can, for as long as you can. But it's not just so that we're busy. This is so that we are healthy and growing toward maturity. It's the, it's the diverse works and service and ministry of God's people in the church that build it up in unity, that build it up in maturity. I'd love to say that our maturity and our unity and our love for God all hinge on my preaching, but praise God, it doesn't. Think of any team sport for a moment that you will. Today, there's a couple of football games on, I guess. You're going to see anywhere from 60 to 85,000 people in the stands. All spectators. But at any one time, there's only 22 players on the field. Oh, there'll be spectators cursing at the coach for that call. There'll be spectators, well, I don't know if any of those guys have snow, but in Buffalo, they were throwing snowballs at the other team. There will be people hurling insults. There will be people cheering and jeering all the sorts. But you think of that big picture. The coach is on the sideline. He's preaching to his team. He's giving them the game plan with his staff. Of what they should do. How they're going to do it. And inspiring them to victory. Those 22 players are the ones that are on the field in the game of football. There's other games we could throw in there. Baseball, there's nine. Basketball, there's five for one team, five for the other. But friends, we've got spectators all around us, our community, our family, our friends, our coworkers. They're all around us, and they don't know or trust Jesus. If you look at your church staff, they're, they're going to be like the coaches in that illustration, in that analogy. There are times where I will get out there and play the game because I love the game. But by, by Ephesians 4, your staff, we are equipping you. We are training you. Because we can't go everywhere you can go. We're one person at a time. Like Billy can't be at every campus for students, and Chloe can't go out to all the elementary schools all at the same time. But some of you are teachers, you're in the classroom. Many of you are serving faithfully there. We praise God for that. You're in the grocery store. You're in Walmart enjoying that new parking lot. You're in the restaurants. You're in the feed stores. You're all over town. You're on the fishing boat. You're at the pier, the dock. 
You're everywhere. And when we leave this place, we go out onto our mission fields. That's why we're growing out. And there is the place right there where you were in the game. A healthy church, friends, is marked by that kind of spiritual maturity. A spiritual maturity that involves Christ-likeness, that has doctrinal stability. We're not constantly being changed by the waves and the winds of change, the changes of the doctrine. We have truth that is joined with love for one another and love for Christ. And we see every member contributing. A healthy church is marked by spiritual maturity, that we are growing towards Christ-likeness and godliness. And as we work together, serving a need in the ministries of the church, we do so in proportion to the equipping of the Lord through the gifts he has given us. It is essential to life transformation. It is absolutely essential through life transformation, through the work of the Holy Spirit within me. If you have given two gifts and yet you're serving like you've got five, somebody's missing. You know what I'm saying? We're not healthy. If you're being overworked and we're asking you to serve in 10 places where you're not gifted, that's not healthy because God has gifted you for another service and another ministry. So all these things, these things have been in our mind as a staff and as we sat down a couple of weeks ago on Thursday and Friday, actually it was not this week, but the last week, we began thinking through and praying through all of these, uh, all of these issues that we, we face today. And this is the solution. As we continue to move forward, cultivating missionaries that will grow deep roots in Jesus and growing out into our community to serve him, as we work ourselves into this, we are cultivating. That's what we're doing this morning. This is a time of cultivating. As you go to life group in a few moments, it is a time where you're going to be with a smaller group of people with more conversation where you can cultivate and be deeply rooted in Jesus. So... To close out this morning so that you can go to Life Group, I'm not asking you to sign up or volunteer like I'm begging you for help. I want to share with you what the Bible has shared and what Paul wrote to the Christians in Ephesus. That you have been gifted for service, and it's our job as a church to help you find that gift. And it's time to come out of the stands, suit up, and get into the game. Because it is essential for our church and it is essential for you so that you are growing in Christ likeness and godliness. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org. May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord.